And Father, I'm asking for the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives right now. We really are hungry people who want change in our lives. We're not content with the level of godliness that we've had so far up until now. We want more. We want to know you more. We want to give more to you. We want to hear your voice more in our ears and our hearts and see you more clearly. And so, Lord, would you do that in our lives tonight, that you'd speak powerfully to every one of us and change our lives and use the lives of the people in this room to be effective in proclaiming your kingdom during this next week. Help us, oh God. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, guys, we're studying the book of Acts. Matt has Bibles free. If you don't have a Bible, listen, tonight you need a Bible because we're going to look at, we're going to be going through some scriptures and we're going to be going through those scriptures really quick. It's going to be hard to get that all up here. So um, raise your hand if you don't have a Bible with you. And, and guys, again, it's one thing to have it on your phone. I think this is one of those nights that having your phone is not going to be enough because you have to, you, you need a book. So Matt, um, Matt will give you a Bible. And we're in Acts chapter... 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 27 is where we're starting. Just want to remind you where we're at. Jesus, the King of the universe, the Word of God, became a human so that you could know Him. His plan was with His blood, He would purchase the people of this planet redeem them from darkness, bringing them into community with him and those people who he purchased with his blood, including almost every person in this room, that those people would be effective in representing him and setting up his kingdom on this planet. It is a real kingdom. All other kingdoms have failed or will fail. Some empires have lasted hundreds of years. Some have lasted only a few years. But all of them ultimately fail except for one. That is the empire of Jesus. God become human. He became a human and he is the eternal king and we're a part of that and guys we're still getting started it's and we, we look back over the past 2,000 years at what Jesus has done and the momentum has been increasing the passion has been increasing the preparation for the return of the king when he steps back on this planet has been increasing and we can't wait. But Jesus is even more passionate about it all than we are. And that's why he gave us his spirit. So that his spirit through us would affect this planet in a way that nothing else could. So you're being prepared. You guys are in this room right now as students of the master. Being trained to represent him and to take the kingdom by force, not by force, but by love, sorry. We're, we, every other kingdom is, is established by force. This kingdom is established through love. Guys, we're, we're taking over this planet.
you guys are a part of this. Okay, so that's where we are. Jesus stepped off this planet after he had been killed and resurrected. He steps off this planet. He gives his spirit to those people so that they could do what he said even more than he had done. He said, I tell you the truth, whoever has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He'll do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. He's saying, I'm going to the Father. I'm, I'm stepping off this planet. I'm returning to the place where I came from so that my spirit would come and empower you, Amanda, and you, Ashish, and you, Everett, and you, other Amanda, and you, Matt, I mean, all of us. <laughs> so that you'd be able to do things that you would not be able to do naturally. And so we've been studying this in the book of Acts. Verse 27 of Acts chapter 11, this is where we are right now. So during this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Actually, you can put that map up there if you want that we looked at last week. They came down from, it's actually north. The reason they say come down is because it's downhill. So Antioch is lower than Jerusalem. So they came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, one of these prophets named Agabus, who rode the bus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. And this famine did happen in the reign of Claudius. Claudius' reign was from 41 A.D. to 54 A.D. And the famine that even that other historians write about happened sometime around 40, somewhere between 44 and 46 A.D. Verse 29, the disciples, that is the disciples in Antioch, and what we learned last week is those are not Jewish disciples for the most part, they're most part Gentile, non-Jewish disciples of Jesus, each according to his ability, decided to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. So here we are. Remember, Jerusalem's right here. Jerusalem's right here. Antioch is up here. Okay? So Agabus and his buds go from Jerusalem to Antioch and, tell, and pr predict a famine that is going to happen. And these people in Antioch decide each according to their ability, decided to provide for the brothers living in Judea. This they did, sending their gifts to the elders in Jerusalem by Barnabas and Saul. Okay. I want you guys to think about what, the, what this is all about. And if you're not careful, you're going to miss what this is all about. It's easy to read. I've read this, I think I've read this 200 times in my life and never thought about what does God have to say to me and to people at the Cornerstone through these verses. So I'm going to ask you guys some questions, okay? Okay. Who was it? See if, you can, see if you can remember what we just read. Who was it that came from Jerusalem to Antioch? Agabus and some other prophets, okay? Okay. Here, here's what, so Agabus and some other prophets go from Jerusalem to Antioch. And why did they do that? What's that? Yeah, they go, they, they go there because I mean, they, they don't just go there by accident like, hey, we, we got to go somewhere. Let's go to Antioch. They go there specifically, and they go there because God has got a plan for them to go there. God just wants to see this. I, I read through this. I'm like, okay, these guys end up in Antioch, but why did they go? They went there because God had a sovereign plan to speak something to the, to the Christians up in Antioch. It's a brand-new church. Most of these people don't know hardly anything, but God has a sovereign plan to speak to them. And I want you guys to think about what is God's purpose? Here's the question. What was God's purpose in speaking that message to the people up in Antioch? Just want you to think about that. 
And as you're thinking about that, I want you to look at John 17, 23. John 17, 23. We just talked about Jesus as being the king of this planet. Jesus has a plan to bring all people under his kingdom, into his kingdom. He's got a strategy. That's right. It's John 17, 23. He's got a strategy for how the people of the world would know that Jesus is the king. I want you to see what his strategy is in John 17, 23. John 17, 23 is part of Jesus' priestly prayer the night before he is put to death. I want you guys to hear what he says, what he prays. This is what he prays. John 17, 23. May they people of the world, be brought to complete unity so that the world will know that you, Father, love me and have loved them even as you have loved me. What is Jesus asking for? Unity, and the purpose of the unity is what? He's asking for two things, really. He's He's asking for what? To show the Father's love because through the unity of the God's people, what would, what would the result be? According to this verse. Who would know? The world. Guess I want you to see this. Jesus' strategy in reaching the world is by the unity of God's people. That's his strategy. That's his strategy. I mean, all the burgers and coffee and meetings and everything else that we do doesn't work apart from the unity of God's people. That's his plan. And so remember what that back to the map up there in Antioch? What, what's the what's the ethnicity of the of the church in Antioch? It's Gentiles, multi-ethnic. And in Jerusalem, it's all Jews. And God's got a plan to not let two denominations start here in the first few years of his, of, of the of the establishment of his kingdom. He's not going to have first Gentile church of Antioch and first Jewish church of Jerusalem. No way. His plan is for unity. So he takes these Jewish prophets from Jerusalem, sends them up to Antioch to proclaim a message, and the message is about this famine that's going to come. Now, I want you guys to think about what the history is. Do you guys remember the history that's happened up to this point? Churches established in Jerusalem. Thousands of people. Persecution happens. But the church of Jerusalem is built by the sacrificial contributions of people who love Jesus more than things. They give and give and give. And the guy who gives, who's noted for giving the most, is a guy named Barnabas. You guys remember this? Barnabas funds the church in Jerusalem with his money. He's a real estate dude. He sells his real estate, and he gives the money to the church. He, he helps to establish this church of several 5,000-plus people, and then some bonehead named Saul blows the whole thing apart by killing Stephen, and everybody runs. Barnabas establishes the church with his money. Saul messes it all up by his selfishness. But then Saul becomes a Christian. You guys remember? And so... Christians are scattered all over. Now this famine is coming. I want you guys to see the sovereignty of God in this whole thing. That this famine is coming. And God's going to use what the famine to bring the, the Jewish church in Jerusalem and the Gentile church in Antioch together. I want us to see, I want us to see how this happens. So the, the prophets go there. 
they explain that this famine is coming, and they encourage them to repay the Christians in Jerusalem because of this debt of gratitude that they have for those Christians in Jerusalem. And the result is, look what I want you guys to see in verse 29 what the disciples do. Okay, verse 29 again. We've already looked at this. Verse 29, the disciples each, guys, circle that word each. That means every one of them, not most of them or some of them, but each of them. Each of the people who are true disciples participate in this thing. Each according to his ability. You know what that means? That each of them isn't the same. Each of them doesn't have the same amount of money. They don't have the same gifting. They're all different. But each of them, according to what they have, according to what they're able, they decided. Guys, circle that word decided. Just think about this. They make a plan. They're like, okay, the people in Jerusalem who are our brothers and sisters who we owe an allegiance to because if it wasn't for what they've been through, we would not know Jesus now. And so we owe them our life. So we're going to make a decision that I am going to help them. You can't see that. They make a decision to provide help for the brothers living in Judea. And they do this by sending the gifts through two guys. Barnabas, who had funded the church, and Saul, who had destroyed the church. Is that comical or what? They're the guys who are going to go to the church in Jerusalem and bring this community back together. So here's the question again. Why did God give Agabus and the prophets a message for the church in Antioch? So, so, they, so, that, so that they would, so that, that's right, to provide for people, so that the people in Antioch, the church in Antioch, would provide for the needs of believers in another part of the world. You guys hear what I'm saying? And through that provision, to bring unity to the church of Jesus. Do you guys understand what God's doing here? Here's what I want you guys to get. The supernatural gifting. Think about the gifting. This guy's a, this Agabus is a prophet and other prophets. These prophets, the supernatural gifting of the Holy Spirit, which includes prophecy and healing and teaching and words of knowledge, words of wisdom, supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of his people are for the purpose of meeting the needs of other people. Did you guys hear this? And bringing, through that help, meeting the needs of other people, bringing unity to the church of Jesus. Do you guys understand what God's purpose is? I want you to catch this. Do you guys believe that? Here, here's what you can write down in your notes. Supernatural gifts are for ministry. Okay? That prophecy of Agabus was for ministry. Okay. Okay, let me ask you again. Do you guys believe that supernatural gifting from the Holy Spirit is for ministry? Okay, you guys believe that? But now I want to ask you a related question. If supernatural gifting is for ministry, ministry that will ultimately unite Jesus' church, then what about all the other gifts that aren't supernatural? What about natural gifts? Do you guys hear what I'm saying? I mean, if... You believe that God gives supernatural gifts for kingdom building, then why does he give you a bunch of other gifts? We, because there are physical needs that, that we can meet. Guys, this is what I want you guys to get. Every gift 
that God has ever given you, whether it's supernatural or natural or whatever it is, has been given to you for kingdom building. So I want you guys to tell me, what are the gifts that God's given you? Some of them are supernatural, spiritual gifts. Some of them are just natural gifts. What are some of the gifts that God's given you? We can write a list of a thousand things. Okay. At least you responded. One of our gifts is Luke. God gave us a, an Englishman to, to amuse us. Thank you. Um, okay. Okay. I'm, I'm talking. Okay. Here's okay. Here's the danger for you guys. Look at look at James one sixteen. Look at James one sixteen. I want you guys to understand the gifts that God has given you. You guys are thinking at too high of a spiritual level in regards to these gifts that I'm asking about. Okay. Verse, James 1.16 says what? Don't be deceived. In other words, it's easy. If you, guys, you know why James says don't be deceived? Because it's easy to be deceived, especially in this area. Okay, people of the cornerstone, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, from the Father. And the point is, your shirt is from God. Your cool sunglasses that Noah's wearing are from God. The chairs you're sitting on, the breath you breathe, the air you breathe, your smile, your experiences, your relationships, your job, your schooling, your household, everything is a gift from God. God understand your hair, that's right. Some of you guys better hair than me. That's right. Every gift, everything you have is from him. And the reason, guys, understand, everything that you have, every ounce of energy, all of it has been given to you for the purpose of building his kingdom. Okay? My question a second ago was, if you've been given a spiritual gift, it's been given to you for kingdom ministry. And if you need a reference, it's 1 Corinthians 12, 7. You guys can write that down in your notes and memorize it later. Every spiritual gift has been given to you for the building of his kingdom. Every natural gift, everything, every breath, all of it for the building of his kingdom. And here's my question for you. Why has God given you so much? Why has God given you so much? And the answer is, he didn't give it to you for you. He, whatever you have, cool hat or cool shirt or cool friends or cool, hat, whatever, cool car, whatever it is, God didn't give that to you for you. He gave it to you because God wants to, you to use it for his kingdom. And if you catch this, if you catch what I'm saying, and you live like it's true, you guys are always going to have enough. And if you don't catch this, you are never going to have enough. So you know, I don't know if you caught this or not. Ask yourself, do I have enough? If your thought is, I don't got enough, you haven't caught what I'm talking about. And you're probably irritated that I'm talking about it. And if you're saying, God, I have enough, then you've caught this. 
whether you really have enough or, or not compared to everybody else's in, in everybody else's eyes. Yeah, I want you guys to think about every politician who runs for presidency and what they all promise. Did somebody a few years back say it's about the economy, stupid? Who was that that said that? Okay, we've had Reaganomics. <laughs> I don't know what you said. We had Reaganomics, and we've had Clintonomics, and we had Obamacare, and we've got Trump's, you know, make America great again. But the only, the only world-changing, long-lasting, justice-driven, economic policy that actually works is the economic policy proposed by the king of peace. And I want you guys to understand how it works. Okay? I want you to think about what we just read in verse 29. The disciples, they, here's, here's the policy in a nutshell. The disciples, that means people who follow Jesus, each one of them, that means you and you and you and you and all of us, each one who's a disciple, according to his ability, decided. That means made a plan. That means each of the disciples, they made a plan. They had a plan to help the brothers who were in trouble. What's your plan? How are you going to do it? What's the plan? What's the plan for the people at the Cornerstone? I want to, we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 8, because I want you to see God's economic plan. That works. Whatever Reaganomics and Clintonomics and Obamacare, whatever all those other plans were, here's the plan that works. Okay? 2 Corinthians 8. Now, the reason we're looking at 2 Corinthians 8 is this is about 10 years, maybe 8 years after the famine has started. And think about what's going, what's going on in Jerusalem. The Jerusalem people had sold everything to get this church started. They don't got anything left. They're impoverished. And besides that, they got all kinds of persecution against them. They are hurting. And so churches all around the known world who had become believers because of what happened in Jerusalem, they're putting their resources together to help the believers in Jerusalem. And Paul gives instruction in regards to this about eight years later or so. In 2 Corinthians 8, okay? So you guys, look at 2 Corinthians 8. You've got to open your Bible here because we're going to hit a bunch of verses in 2 Corinthians 8. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 2. Actually, just before then, in verse 1, the he's talking about the Macedonian churches, the churches, all these little churches that had popped up all over the place in Macedonia. And Paul's talking about these, and he talks about what they've been through. And those Macedonian churches, little church groups, some of them were like the size of this and some of them were bigger and some of them were smaller. Those Macedonian churches were going through hard times themselves. And out of the most severe trial, you guys see this in 2 Corinthians 8 too? Out of, this, out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy. Who's overflowing joy? Who's? The churches of Macedonia. This is up like Greece area. Out of their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You usually don't hear of, ex of, of overflowing joy and extreme poverty together. But understand the situation. The churches in Macedonia, they are hurting themselves. They're in trouble. They're, they, they themselves are hurting. And yet, in the middle of their poverty, a, they have a joy that says, it's worth it for me to go without a meal so I can help the churches back, the people back in Jerusalem, because I owe my 
lives to them. Verse 3 of 2 Corinthians 8, Paul says, For I testify that they gave as much as they were able. Nope, actually beyond what they were able. It's like they, they gave what they couldn't afford to give. And you know what? They did it, and look at what he says, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. Think, think about it. Like, plead. Like, please let me skip my lunch so I can give you money to take the, the Christians in Jerusalem. They're asking Paul for the privilege of sacrificing food, food for them and food for their families so they can have the privilege of saying thank you to the church in Jerusalem. Here's Jesus-style economic principle that I want you guys to get. When things are really tough, give. When things are really, really tough, you will find joy in sacrificing the little bit that you have for the sake of other people. And I want to say, try it. It works. I thought, I need a testimony of this. And so I was sitting in my office and Luke was in there. I'm like, Luke, when was the last time you went without, a, without food so that you could bless somebody else? He said, well, let me show you my, my um, spreadsheet. So can you throw a spreadsheet up here? Here's, here's, here's Luke Bishop's. Um, why don't you come up here and tell us what. So, so um, right here, this, this big part here. I mean, Luke, Luke moved here to serve you, by the way. He came here. He came here to serve you and didn't ask for any money. So he, here's how I tell you this works. It works because he was like, pay me. you don't have to pay me anything. I'm not here for money. I'm here to serve Jesus. But somehow, God keeps giving to him. So he, how much money have you made this so far this year? Uh, I've made $4,600. Okay. He's made f- <laughs> without trying. Not bad, huh? So the, this red part represents... How much of that, what percentage of that he's spending his car? Okay. So he's spent a bunch of money in his car. Then he's got this 2%, two, two, two which is dumb stuff. Okay. But the dumb stuff somehow is, in a roundabout way, also part of building a great kingdom for, for Jesus. This is not wasted time. Okay, the yellow is... Food. So since January, Luke has spent $259 on food. Okay. Then necessary purchases. This is deodorant and toothpaste, I suppose. I don't know. Wedding is tough. Luke isn't getting married, but he's preparing, I guess. No, not his wedding. That's not, No, no. Everybody wants Luke in their wedding, and then they ask him to be in the wedding, then he's going to go and get it into suits. So, okay. So that's also ministry stuff. Okay. Then he's got this little blue thing with just, this is, it's not Taco Bell. Um, Taco Bell should be included in food, but apparently it's not. And then this, oh, he spent $100 so far this year on things he wants to do, like? Okay. He went to the cinema. He saw how many, he saw a few movies. Um, the, pur- the purple, okay, this is giving. So he's, this is giving, this is his tithe. So 10, 10% of his, so that's 10% of this circle is his tithe, and that's, well, it's actually more, it's 13%. And 
And then this is offerings, which is $1,431 that he's spent in addition to that in investing in kingdom stuff. And then this is what food that he's bought for other people. Okay. So I was like, can I share this with you? And without, he's like, yeah, I don't care. There's no secret. So you, I don't know why I had you come up here. Oh, yeah. I, like, I want to make it clear, like, this isn't, like, a boastful thing, because everything that I have is, is, is going to be Jesus's one day. Like, I, I really want to write my will right now and just write, like, 100%, just donate it all to the church kind of thing, um, because, like, even the other money that I spent, like, this, this just keeps me accountable, that I can look back and be like, this is a lot of red, <laughs> and so, like, I'm going to drive my car less and, and spend... Um, more time riding my bike if I can, um, and if it's sunny on a Sunday, I'll ride to Grace because I don't I don't need to um, drive my car. So, um, like I, if anything, like this all has come from Jesus, and so I want to boast that Jesus gave me like so much money so that I can give away, and the fact that I can give so much away is because like my expenses are taken care of already. So, yeah, that's what I want to boast in, and. Yeah, I'd encourage you to learn like how to keep track of your finances um, because it's helpful to go back and be like, how much did I spend this month on, you know, on this thing and, and where, where is my priorities at? So. Okay. Okay. When things get really tough, yeah, that's the principle. Jesus, Jesus style economics principle, number one. Okay, another one here is in a few verses later in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. If you guys get your Bibles, keep looking at that. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, richest guy in the universe, though he was rich, yet for your sakes, Luke and me, he became poor. He became impoverished so that you, through his poverty, so that you could become rich. Okay, here's the Jesus style economic principle jesus is the perfect example and you have riches right now you have wealth that you don't understand completely because of his poverty because he sacrificed for you so the principle is we should do the same for other people we should follow his example okay third thing from verse 12 second corinthians 8 12 for if the willingness is there the gift is acceptable according to what one has not according to one to to what he does not have. Here's the Jesus style economic principle here. Motivation matters. Motivation matters. What Paul is saying is the amount isn't as important as the motivation. Now don't misunderstand and think, oh, I got good motivation, so I'll give two pennies. Okay? But what he is saying, what, what Paul is saying is along the lines, remember when the, the woman, the widow, gave two pennies? And Jesus like, she gave more than anybody. Why? Because her heart was, I'm giving all. She gave all she had. But she didn't have to feel bad because she only gave two pennies and somebody else gave two million. But the motivation matters. So if your heart is, God, I want to give all to you. But all you've got is like what Luke's got. As opposed to what Bill Gates has got. And people give different amounts. But what matters is your heart. That's what, that's what Paul's saying here. So, let me ask you guys this. How much does God expect you to give? Okay. 
And I know you guys have grown up in churches where you've heard lots about tithing. Like, okay, 10% for you, 90% for me. That doesn't work. It don't work, guys. Now, should you give 10% of the church? Yeah, sure. But if you think you can give 10% of the church you can get, and you've got 90% to spend the way you want, and what you want is not about his purposes, then what you want is not the right thing. So, you guys, you guys have been around a while. You've probably heard me talk about money before. There's three things you can do with your money. You can spend it on yourself. You can spend it on other people slash kingdom building. Or you can invest it so that in the future, you've got more to spend on yourself and kingdom building. You guys hearing me? What are the three things you can do with your money? Spend it on yourself. Spend on others, slash kingdom building, invest it. Okay. So, you remember how in verse 29 or something, they decided that they were going to give? I want to ask you guys to be coming up with a plan of how you're going to give. Not just how you're going to give right now where you're making 60 bucks a week or whatever it is, but how you're going to divide up those three things when you're making 6,000 bucks a week. You guys hear what I'm saying? What do you want to do? Now, I'll tell you what most people do. They take 100% of what they make and how much they spend on themselves. 110%. They make up the difference between what they make and what they spend with a credit card. You, men and women of God, are not to use credit cards unless you do it like I do as a, as a means to not have to carry cash and you pay it off every month. That's okay. But if you're using a credit card to buy stuff that you don't have money for, you're saying, the Lord hasn't given me what I need. He's given me this much, and I need this much, so I'll, I'll steal from my future so that I can have more than what he's given me. That is not okay. So as you, as you think about the 100% that God gives you, how much are you going to spend on yourself? How much are you going to give away? How much are you going to invest so that in the future you've got more to, really more to give away is the goal? And what, what percent was Luke giving away? It's pretty close to 50%. Now, what you didn't have anything in there was investment. But, <laughs> but you know what? He's investing in people's lives. And, and where's, guys, where's the verse that talks about the best investment of all? Proverbs 19.17. Proverbs 19.17 says, He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay him with interest. Guaranteed. I mean, I, you guys know that I did a bunch of real estate, and I've had a, a lot of people ask me about, you know, better, better real, in real estate or better in, in you know, stocks and mutual funds. I'm thinking, you want to know what the best investment is? You give sacrificially to people who God loves and who Jesus died for, and guaranteed God's going to repay you. And why do you want God to repay you? So you can give more away. That's the goal, guys. This is Jesus' economy. Okay, let's look at another principle here. Verse 13. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 13. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed. In other words, the whole point of all this is not to make the cornerstoners miserable. To make, not make you poor. You're already poor. <laughs> it's like, oh, we want you to... That's not the goal. The goal is that there might be... What does it say? 
equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, and he quotes the Old Testament, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. This is Jesus-style economic principle. The goal, God's plan, God's plan is equality. That every kid has enough to eat, every person has a place to sleep, every person, regardless of which side of the border they're on, has an equal opportunity to life. This is God's plan. A lot of ideas about this stuff. This is Jesus' plan. This is what Jesus died for. Jesus is our example, not any politician or any teacher or any person who you respect who says something different. Jesus' plan is equality. Now, not everybody's going to agree with me. I just want you to read the Bible. Read the Bible. And you take scissors and you cut off every part of the Bible. You cut off every, every verse in the Bible that talks about caring for the poor and the destitute. And you don't got much of a Bible left. The goal is equality. Now, I know you guys think that sounds like communism. Here's the, difference. Here's the problem with communism. Communism is forced. Communism is where somebody says... Doesn't matter how hard you work, you're not gonna only make this much. It doesn't matter how little you work, you make you 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 make this much. It's controlled. Jesus's economy is not forced. It's all voluntary. If you want to keep your money for yourself, go ahead. Jesus is not gonna force you. Doesn't mean you can't be saved. You can still be saved. But the reward and the blessing and the joy is Jesus said it. It's more blessed to give than receive. And if you try it, you'll like it. Just ask anybody who's doing it. Jesus' economics is never forced. Instead, this is what it says in verse 6, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. So now we're in the next chapter. just want you guys to see this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly. In other words, you've got a choice. We're not going to force anybody to give. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. And you guys know what sowing is, right? You guys, you guys you know, you get... You guys aren't farmers, I know, but think back. You know, you've seen the pictures and all that. You get the seed and you throw it out there. And if you, if, if you want a big crop, you've got to throw a lot of seed out there. If you only want a little crop, just throw a little bit of seed. But the, the amount of crop that you get is proportionate to how much seed you plant. And when you got your, when you got your, your, your seed, your grain, you've got two choices. You can eat it or you can invest it. You can, put, you can put it back into the soil so that you have more next year. And Paul's saying... A principle of, hey, if you, if you want great returns, then throw that seed out. You invest. You invest in Jesus' kingdom. What was the verse I just mentioned in Proverbs about invest, the best investment? Thank you. Proverbs 19.7. You guys are taking notes. I'm so proud of you. You get an A+. Plus. <laughs> the, uh, the Proverbs 19.7 says, He who gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord will repay him. What's that? With interest. With interest. With interest. Okay. One more principle here from 2 Corinthians 8.10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, who's that talking about? Who, who gives seed to the sower? Remember James 1.16? Yes, Jesus. God, God, where does the seed come from? Seeds come from God. 
He who provides seed for the sower and bread for the food, where does your food come from? It comes from God. Will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Verse 11. Underline verse 11, guys. You will be made rich in every way. Yahoo! It's like, hey, man, you guys are all like, I want to be rich. Why? You've been made rich in every way. Circle the word so that. You guys see that? You'll be made rich in every way so that you. What? Why are you going to be made rich? Why does God want to bless you? So that you can be generous on every occasion, including tonight when you end up, somebody is asking you for some help. That's why you were given the money. And through us, Paul's, Paul's saying, through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. In other words, we're going we're to take this money, we're going to take it down to Jerusalem to help the Christians there, and you guys get to be blessed through us bringing the money to those people. Okay, here's the Jesus-style economic principle here. You guys are going to love this if you listen to me. You're going to hate it if... Some of you might hate this. You don't have to provide for yourself the truth now that doesn't mean you be lazy <laughs> it's true and i know that all you guys who want to marry the girl their dad's like how are you gonna provide for my daughter and you don't tell them what i'm telling you now you, <laughs> you say i'm gonna work hard i'm i'm, I'm the hardest worker there is. it's true you're a hard worker but the reason you're working hard is not to provide for her or for yourself you don't have to provide for yourself you work to build his kingdom and he provides for you. And the sooner you recognize that, the better your life is going to be. I remember my wife was here a little bit ago. I was wondering if she was going to be around when I told you this, what happened. We were married. Our first five years of marriage, some of you guys know a little bit our first five years of marriage, but we just, we just had so much struggle financially. And I was going to school and I was working jobs and I had business. I had all these little businesses and we're, I was making enough that I could get we could make it happen, but we were not ahead at all. And finally, we moved to Japan, and I sold my car for $100, and the people didn't even pay me because it was in such bad condition. So that, that's the level that we're living at. And you know what? The Lord would not let us succeed financially until we had this principle down, that he is the one who surprise, supplies seed for the sow and bread for food. He is the one, and that our work was not to provide for myself. And I remember the day we were sitting, we'd, we were new in Japan, and Ruth was so frustrated with me because I'd not made any money, and she expected a husband who was going to make a lot of money. And she, you know, there were other guys who had graduated from school, and they'd gotten the jobs that were making all kinds of money. And I've, I, was, it, I struggled with it. But the reason the Lord wasn't going to let us make any money yet is because he had something to do in my wife's heart that wasn't going to be... That, that needed to happen before he dumped money into our lap. And we sat there, and she was frustrated again with how poor I'd been at providing for her. And I remember, I have to, I confess that I, I got irritated. I, was, I finally, sp I got irritated, but I spoke the truth. I didn't speak the truth in love, but I spoke the truth. And I finally said, it is our job to serve Jesus with everything we have, and it is his job to provide for us. And if he provides a lot, praise him. If he doesn't provide a lot, provide a lot. Oh, well, we're still going to serve him, but that is not my responsibility. It is his. And I will. I, it's not that I hadn't been working hard. I had worked so hard, but nothing had worked because my wife still thought I was her provider. 
praise God for my wife. That day, I think something switched. I think we, we decided together, even though it wasn't a very nice argument to listen to. And we've learned, you know what? The Lord has done so much in our, in, in our marriage, and I got a great wife, so I don't want to make it sound anything bad. But the Lord had to do something in her heart to teach her that her husband was not her provider. And you, you know, when I'm, we're doing premarital counseling upstairs, I want the women to understand that he's not going to satisfy your every need. Your provider is God. And if you expect to provide for you, you're never going to have enough. You're always going to put the pressure on him. Look to God. And, and you, I'm asking you, my friends, here at the Cornerstone, let's spend our lives working for him. No one he's going to provide for us. He's the one who provides. He's our provider. Jesus says in, in John 6, 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. Let's work for that. And also in what, what, Matthew 6, 24, do not worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink or about your body and what you're going to wear. Isn't life more important than food and your body more important than clothes? Look at the birds there. They don't, s- store, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life or penny to his bank account? But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And then all this is added to you. Because this is Jesus' economics. It works. The politicians will continue promising success. As long as, Je- as long as Jesus stays away from this planet. But the truth is, there is no economic success from the world that's going to work. This works. You guys want success in life? You want economic success in life? Then give your life away. This is an invitation. You guys are in this room. As a community of people, that is not like the rest of the world. It's not even like the rest of the church that says 10% for God, 90% for me. This is a, this is a world-changing community. That's what we're talking about this. Let's build the kingdom sacrificially. I can't wait. So guys, let's stand up and we're going to close in prayer. Some of you guys probably need to do business with God about this topic. The question is, Jesus' question for you today is, do you trust me? They're like, yeah, and, and so many of us are like, yeah, Jesus, thank you for dying for my sins. I trust you. Thank you that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But I got so many situations in my life that I'm stressed about. And his question is, do you trust me? Do you trust me with your finances? Do you trust me with tomorrow? With your test? You're supposed to be going to school to provide for yourself. Do you, tr- you can trust him. That's his question for you. So let's just pray. Lord Jesus, we just, as a community of people, we just say, we trust you. Our lives are in your hands. We can't add one breath to our lives. Thank you for every breath you've given us, every penny you've given us, every relationship, every house, every tank of gas. It's all yours anyway. And we just invite you to use all these things all our, every muscle in our body, every word that we speak, our cell phone, our computer, 
our jobs as platforms to proclaim your goodness to the world. Would you change the world because of the, the sacrificial love of the people in this community? And that we'd remember that, the, that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And the person that gives the most is the winner. We just want to give with our lives all that we have. Help us to do that. Would you change? Can you, just, can you just change? let your word work in our hearts, changing our hearts? And that you change the world because you're changing hearts of people in this community. Help us. Oh, God. In Jesus' name, amen.